Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Fortress Podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And on the phone with us today is Shay Huang, CEO of Boxed, to discuss the rise of direct-to-consumer brands and Boxed in general. Welcome, Shay. Thanks for having me, guys. This will be a fun 30 minutes or so. Shay, let's just start with who Boxed is and how how you got here. What, what, what drove you to this point um, to bring Boxed to market? It's a wonderful question because sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, wow, it's been, uh, it's been a wild ride for us. So as cliche as it sounds, we started about five years ago in my garage, you know, <laughs> first and foremost, trying to deliver big, bulky goods to folks all around the country. So whether it's you're stocking up because you, you have a big family or you're stocking up because you need to feed your employees for an event or simply stocking up your office pantry, we felt there was a real gap in the market uh, um, uh, for folks wanting to stock up. Uh, and to save. Um, from that point of, of kind of the humble beginnings of the garage, um, we've raised, uh, raised and sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, uh, 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 of stuff and, 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 and funding. And we've now grown pretty quickly over these last five years. Um, now not in the garage anymore. The <laughs> film and centers all over the country, uh, fully automated. And because of our humble beginnings in the garage, uh, we couldn't afford the latest software. We couldn't afford uh, uh, all these different things that other folks had. So we actually built it ourselves. So now box, you know, our ad platform, our inventory management software, our warehouse management software, even our robotics in our newest facilities are all designed, engineered and built in house. So wow. as full stack as it gets, when you're looking at that all the way down to the hardware, you, you basically have Amazon, Alibaba, JD and Ocado as being of that ilk that built everything themselves. Wow. So that raises a lot of questions, but first and foremost is talent. I mean, we've had a number of podcasts where the fight for this kind of talent that I assume is needed to do what you just said uh, is hard for anybody. How did you How did you get that kind of talent and get that kind of talent so fast? Um, it's really hard, and to this day, we still fight tooth and nail to attract the best talent, especially the best engineering talent. Um, you know, in the early days, uh, if you've got, uh, uh, you know, an offer from Google and an offer from Palantir um, and then an offer of Box to help us sell toilet paper, you know, you're kind of like, as an engineer, you know, like, I don't know which one I'm going to choose here, um, but certainly not Box. Uh, but over time, I think as we've been able to show that this industry, as potentially, quote unquote, unsexy as it is to engineers, like the hotshot engineer coming straight out of college, um, uh, you know, the reality is, uh, we're in a time of flux in potentially one of the biggest industries in the world uh, when it comes to dollars. It's, we, we're talking about food, um, and we're not only doing it. Uh, uh, we're not only doing it the traditional way of tackling that problem of distributing food across the U.S., but we're doing it in a very tech-focused way, including having a hardware engineering team. Hmm. That for our recruiting team has been really, really great because they're like when they're able to tell that to an engineer. Engineers know. Uh, we're a tech forward, if not a tech first firm. Uh, and they're like, okay, I, I'd like to hear more. Like, tell me more about your engineering staff. And, and is this a, where are you geographically? Where is this talent coming from? Uh, all over. So, you know, we'll have logistics engineers in Dallas, uh, along with our facility there. Um, we'll have folks in the West Coast in Vegas, uh, East Coast in New Jersey. And then I'm sitting here in the mothership in Soho in uh, Manhattan. So you began this in your garage. What were you seeing in the marketplace? Because five years ago, Amazon was well underway. The digital entity was 
fairly well underway. What did you see that was a hole in the market that you felt needed to get filled? You know, um, it's a good question because I feel at that time it's very easy, and even today, to just say, you guys, were you guys just naive or, you know, did you not know there were companies like Amazon and Walmart and all these other things? Um, but I'd say uh, at that time, what we thought then still holds true today is that when it comes to food and the distribution of food um, and food retail in general, it's one of the biggest industries in the developed world across the entire planet. And there are no clear winners in this space just yet. Um, and when you think about that, that is powerful. Like there are no clear winners in online food just yet. Um, you can't say Amazon, you know, there's current leaders. Uh, Amazon's doing a wonderful job. You know, Walmart's uh, waking up and doing a wonderful job. But, you know, it's not like you're selling online books where you're just like, shut it down, that race is over. Right. Online food, as big of the prize as it is, still has not been won by an experience or a company just yet. So at some point in time, there must have been a moment you said, the lifestyle of the population or the lifestyle of millennials is changing, has changed, that makes me want to get to a certain point in time with a certain capability because people are no longer going to the grocery store. Their fundamental expectation is this, even for these kinds of goods. What was, your, what was the observation about lifestyle or millennial behavior that sat behind the, your competitive comment? So I, I think, you know, um, if you go back to kind of us as a co-founding group in our first company, we were actually, we had no experience in retail. Um, now I feel like I've spent a lifetime in retail and a lifetime in food and CPG. Um, the, back in our first company, we were primarily, we were a, uh, a mobile social gaming uh, uh, firm. And so we wow. made social games for the iPhone as early as the iPhone 2G, if you remember that. And what we felt at that point was that, you know, the processors in those devices, the screens, they were only going to get better and better so that over time, there were not going to be a lot of things that your cell phone or your mobile phone couldn't do uh, that a desktop could do. And so taking that general kind of 5, 10, 15-year thesis and overlaying it upon kind of um, uh, this industry, I think what we found is that uh, millennials, you know, they're going to grow in buying power. Even five years ago, when everyone's all over millennials, like, oh, they don't know what to do with their lives. But even look at today um, – you know, Goldman Sachs, for example, 70% of Goldman Sachs today are millennials. Seven zero, 70%. Wow. The biggest generation in the workforce today are millennials. You know, um, so we always felt like, okay, these millennials were going to raise families. Uh, they were going to have buying power. But at the same time, if you look at kind of how time-strapped they would be and if they would look for food and CPG online first, we felt pretty good that over that curve, as they get busier and enter the workforce, they were going to try to shop online first and then backstop with in-store trips, but they were going to look online first. And luckily, the last five years, it's borne itself out. And so when you think about your competitive set, obviously we mentioned Amazon, but you're competing against the likes of BJ's and Costco as well, right? So maybe also competing not just for the millennials, but people who traditionally shop at those big box stores. Uh, to a certain extent, I think when you look at our um, uh, demographics today, uh, you know, over 60% of our shoppers are between the ages of 25 to 44. Mm -hmm. And when you look at uh, the brick and mortar uh, wholesale clubs like Costco, BJ's and Sam's Club, um, 
over 60% of their customer base are boomers and seniors. And so a lot of ways, demographically, we kind of bookend each other. So that's why we've been growing at a great clip, and so have they. So uh, at least right now, I feel like, you know, we're both capturing share. You could observe that there are traditional retailers attempting to be digital and digital companies attempting to be retailers. Is there an opportunity for someone to be a legitimate digital retailer, being expert in both, that's different than someone attempting to be digital or someone attempting to move their digital competencies into the market? How do you see that, that dynamic? You know, I see it through the lens of, uh, of, of, of many things that we look uh, at here, and that's through the lens of, of no BS and no hubris allowed. And so from the very beginning, we always felt like it was a race, whether digital folks like us were going to figure out retail faster than the retailers figure out digital. And, you know, uh, because folks in the retail side have been waking up and moving faster, um, we now even have to move faster. We have to question kind of what we do and how we do it. So, um, uh, you know, I won't sit here and say, you know, like we're at an advantage because we've got it all figured out. I think the reality is everyone is figuring it out, but they're just going about it uh, up the two sides uh, of the same mountain. There's kind of an interesting conversation about bricks and mortar or just physical space in general. It was sort of devalued as a concept for a while. And then you see the likes of Amazon others saying, well, actually selectively physical space can make a big difference. How do you guys think about physical space? If I were kind of full of hubris and just like full of like, you know, just saying like everyone else kind of thinks and we're the best, you'd say, well, you don't need physical spaces. But I think that would be wrong. I think the consumer just wants an experience where they get what they want, however they want it, whenever they want it. Um, And for the vast majority of individuals when it comes to food, they will still once in a while, uh, no matter how big of an online shopper you are, still want to go into a, a store to pick something up. Maybe it's just a last minute fill in shop, but you still have to offer it. And so even for us, like we think about the future of like, well, uh, what is our strategy when it comes to physical locations? Now, that's not to say that I think like the current format of stores is the winning format. Hmm. Because when you look at what a traditional 40,000 square foot, um, you know, uh, traditional grocer, pure play grocer, uh, what their store looks like today, you know, I can tell you exactly what the future is not. And I think it's probably that. Uh, And I think physical store operators that don't pivot kind of their new store format will find it very difficult to compete in the future um, is how I'm thinking about it. One of the things that intrigues me about the retail space is how much retailers have to be great logistics companies, especially in the online delivery world. How did you guys think about yourself as a logistics company? You know, it's a great question because I feel like early on, even as we approached investors, people were like, you know, great, you have the digital figured out. Um, You know, what do you guys know about logistics? Um, And it was very tough to answer that question. Um, Now, though, I, I feel like because we knew nothing in the beginning and we did not have any preconceived notions about how things needed to be built. We actually just spent time figuring out the problems and not figuring out the problems of how does the solution work with our existing legacy infrastructure, but it's just like, all right, wipe the slate clean. How do we get the right thing uh, really close to the customer so that they get a low price on shipping um, uh, or low cost of shipping to us? And also they get the goods pretty fast. And so, um, uh, you know, we have that. We, we ended up having that unfair advantage where we didn't have to service legacy infrastructure to do that. So we didn't have to pivot a DC into an FC. 
um, we just straight up build in a fulfillment center. We don't we don't have distribution centers. Um, and so uh, uh, learning the hard way and trying to just solve this solve the problem head on has been really powerful for us. So um, you know, writing all the software behind it um, has really helped because you know when there's things we need to be set to to change or to pivot in terms of how we fulfill, it's not like you call you call like a third party provider and they're like, oh, that'll be $8 million and six months to rewrite that part of the software. We just go to the engineering team and say, hey, we need this by next week. Um, and then, you know, we're able to react pretty quickly. So in that example, you're obviously placing the customer like front and center at, at, in, in your organization, meaning they have this problem. We need to solve this problem. How are we going to solve it? Are there other examples in which you've done that in terms of, you know, not trying to reorganize around, obviously, maybe you don't have legacy tech, but um, an internal issue rather focusing on what is the customer's issue and how we're going to go solve that problem. Totally. I, I mean, I could give a very good example that highlights the importance of actually writing our own software. Um, uh, the customer who shops in store um, can very easily pick up an item uh, and they can inspect the item and they can say, okay, you know, when does this thing fire? As a last check before they put it in the basket. Uh, online today, no one else does that. Like no one else, no one is able to provide expiration dates um, visible to the customer. But if you come to Box, uh, as far as I know, we are the only retailer that surfaces the expiration date of the, of the item that you're going to buy as a consumer because you're not able to inspect that item uh, before you actually make the purchase. And so, you know, that transparency that the customer wants uh, in-store and now online, um, we're able to provide it because, again, inventory management software, warehouse management software, and the front end all being written by the same team, we, we know as you add that item to cart, uh, we know exactly where, we're gonna, where that item sits in which facility, which location, and which layer we're going to pick it from. And we know upon receiving what the expiration date was that, uh, of that layer was. Um, and so we just send surface that to you. So it sounds really easy, but because we didn't have legacy infrastructure and had to write all these middleware, uh, middle layer kind of wares uh, uh, or, or programs, um, uh, we were able to do that pretty, pretty easily. And as you thought of the customer experience, there's this classic view of when you open up the Apple product, there's a certain feel to that. There's a certain sort of visceral goodness to it. What was your design point or how did you think of someone – gets a box product, they come home from work, and there it is, and they should feel this, and they should feel this because it behaves this way. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing because uh, if you order from box and you get and uh, the, the, the big uh, box from us, 24, 24, 18, like the big size box, wow. you'll see a caricature of my face on the inside flap of that box. And wow. I laugh because, that, yeah, it is not like – I remember when I saw that, I was like, wait, do you want people to order? Like, <laughs> I don't know, like, like putting my ugly mug here, it's not like the best kind of greeting. Um, but, you know, on the inside of the box, on the inside flaps, every different size of box, uh, a designer here uh, gets, to, gets to claim it. So they could put their own kind of uh, spin on that flap. And one designer, uh, uh, a particular, particularly kind of cynical uh, guy, was like, you know, I'm going to put Chase mug on this. And I was like, I vetoed it. I was like, we're not doing that. And then they printed it anyway. And so they knew how frugal I am. So they were like, are you going to throw away millions of boxes? I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, that's so now, mean. 
Yeah, when I walk through New York, like I see the boxes and I see my face, and I'm just like, oh gosh, like. And so, well, Ben and, uh, ben and Jerry said a good run with it. I mean, so you know, you never yeah, know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but overall, though, um, uh, outside of just the presentation uh, of it, being able to pack it uh, nicely, and, and it's part of the reason why we try to treat our fulfillment center employees so well because they had that final say in how how they pack the box, so they can pack it in a haphazard way or in a neat way for you. Um, but outside of that, uh, we also provide each customer order. Uh, with a handwritten note thanking them for their order or whatever the packer wants to write. Uh, and so that unboxing experience and that one-to-one connection is something that um, we've, we've wanted to hone uh, for a very long time. In these podcasts, one of the things that kept on coming up, especially in the podcast that dealt with retail, is how empowered do firms make the front end of their business, whether they are people serving the stores or whatever. So in that answer you just gave, you empower these folks that are in these pieces to feel a part of the game, to bring their personality to bear. And that's part of the way Boxed works. Totally. It's funny because I just gave a tour of our fulfillment center this morning. And one of the comments from the folks uh, getting the tour was like, you know, people seem pretty happy here. You know, there's some (laughs) smiles around, you know, I'm not like, I'm not like saying crazy things. It's not like a Broadway musical. People aren't like breaking out in song and dance working in a fulfillment center, but People are generally happy, and I think, you know, where that is, you know, of course, there's if they move a little faster, you see efficiency numbers, which lowers our cost to fulfill, which I think today we are one of the lowest when it comes to actual uh, labor uh, cost to fulfill an order of our size. Um, but also, it's the care in which that package is shipped. We ship, on average, 8 to 10 items per order, $100 orders. Um, if the order gets damaged in transit, that's like a hundred bucks uh, uh, down the tube. And so um, making folks feel great uh, about being treated like a regular respected human being has effects outside of just like them moving faster so that you save on costs. And so, uh, so it's part of the reason why um, we're very, very focused on how we treat our fulfillment center uh, team members. Yeah. And it, it just it proves that connection between the employee experience and the customer experience that, because those people want to be doing their jobs well, they are treated well, that then manifests in that positive uh, experience that your customers then um, are, are having. And I think you had talked about, you know, the talent acquisition retention from an engineer perspective, but I, that's, that goes across the board, right, of employees at Box. That's a um, employee experiences is crucial to your success, whether that's the engineer or the fulfillment center employee. Totally. And you know what, like actually one of the the questions that also followed in the tour I gave this morning was, you know, the the place, if you come to our fulfillment centers, um, especially the one in New Jersey, like, um, I mean, you could eat off the floor. Mm. Um, And it's, you know, and it's not because it's clean just because I show up. Um, I've been there like surprise visits at like 1am because it's right by Newark airport. So, if I come home from a flight, I'll just stop by, and I, they don't really enjoy that. But I, I still do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why? Why would they not enjoy the CEO coming <laughs> yeah, at one o'clock in the morning? <laughs> They're like, "Jay, welcome. Surprise. We love seeing you." You know, <laughs> what feedback do you have for us? We love to hear it. You know, <laughs> um, but when you show up, the place is 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 really clean, and and I think the way that happens is not because we have a standard. Uh, an SOP that says the place has to be clean. Every business has a standard operating procedure that says 
the, 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 their shop needs to be clean. But what happens is that, you know, the bulk, if you have a large part of your FC or retail employees not churning, then, and if they are instilled with a certain respect and pride in their work, then new folks coming into that group uh, will be total outcasts if they're just throwing things on the floor and not picking things up when they see it on the ground. But if we didn't treat them well and there was a constant flow of the entire group, then everyone's new and everyone's transient and, like, you know, no one's going to care. And so, again, uh, that doesn't show up in the P&L, but it shows up in other kind of ways. And one of the ways is just cleanliness of the facility. And, you know, on that point, you've done something different and notable as it relates to weddings. Can you talk about that a bit? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you have a major life-changing uh, event within your, your lifetime, like here at Box, like, whether it's a wedding or whether it's a loved one uh, that gets sick or whether if you get sick, um, uh, we will, depending on how long you've been with us, uh, we will cover a certain portion uh, of those costs. Um, now, you know, some folks have gotten tickets themselves uh, and we've, we've covered the costs. Um, you know, family members, um, uh, a, a very popular way to use it are, has been weddings because especially in our office environment, you know, it's, it's like everyone, not everyone, but, there's a lot of folks here of kind of uh, in that time of life where they are getting married. Um, so we cover those things. One of the things that we observed, not strictly for retail, but really any any consumer-facing company, is the pressure to sort of respond to or agitate or participate in all the social things that are happening out there in the world. How does Boxed see that in terms of does the does the brand have to participate in those things? Do you have to comment? Can you stay away? How, how do you, because as a CEO, there's a certain there's a certain sort of benefit if you get it right, but of course there's a certain headache if you don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I you know I, I still struggle with that because I think you know outside of being a CEO, um, uh, I'm I'm still a regular human being, and so um, uh, and and. and kind of what's best for the company and my views, they sometimes, you know, uh, they, they, they could rub against each other. And so, um, and, you know, the fact that we are so forward thinking in terms of employee benefits um, uh, rubs against um, the fact that, you know, we're, we're not a charity. Like, we are a for-profit entity um, uh, that we're just not here to, for societal good. And so I, I, I think all those things, to a certain degree, rub against each other. Um, and uh, it makes my job uh, really difficult as we've you know grown to the size that we have grown. Right. Um, so today um, it's unfortunate, but we have great employee benefits, but we can't help everyone in every situation. Um, uh, and again, there's there's societal kind of wrongs out there, and as much as Che the person wants to help everyone uh, right those, the company it's not in a position to do so. So. If we have, if we are in a great position to affect change uh, 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 on that issue, then we will take a stand. But a lot of the other items, you know, it, 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 it's really just trying to be smart and picking our battles because a lot of times we just won't have the practical impact, even if we go all in on it. Right. And one of the items, there's a debate, there's a concern raised in the marketplace that products for women are priced higher or simply priced differently than for men. And you had a Rethink Pink program on that. How did you relate those two? How did it go? And as a CEO, how you experienced that? So I, I, uh, it, it's one of my favorite programs here um, because it is the one that 
I, I would say I'm most proud about because it didn't come from my mind. Uh, it came from people here who saw that they could affect change um, um, in, in an issue that, that, that affects them um, uh, by working at Box. And so um, for the folks out there listening that don't know what the pink tax or the, uh, uh, or, or the tampon tax is, um, there's two components. One is that uh, in 30-plus states, uh, uh, we still charge uh, and, and, and collect sales tax uh, for feminine care products like tampons and pads as if they're luxury good items. And in some of those same states, you won't get charged tax on condoms and Rogaine because those are considered necessities. Um, and so, uh, it, it, you know, it doesn't pass the straight face test for me um, uh, and certainly did not for the women that worked at Box. And so when you buy those products from us and if we have to unfairly collect sales tax from you, we rebate it back to you so as if we didn't, you didn't have to pay it. Um, the other side of things is if there's a, a, a pink item that's 30% more than the male equivalent solely because it's marketed towards women um, uh, and there's no real functional difference, we will, we will kind of normalize the price so that women aren't unfairly uh, uh, paying that pink tax. So to date, hundreds of thousands uh, of, of customers have benefited from the program and we've rebated back uh, over a million dollars to our customers. And so um, I'm pretty proud of that. And, and I think it's one of those things that we've, we've taken a stand on. I mean, obviously those customers have benefited, but how have they reacted? Are they interacting with you more? Have you seen that virtuous cycle of this program because you're putting that out there and doing good in the world? In, in a positive way. Um, so, uh, you know, like uh, when, we, when we do focus groups and, and surveys of women uh, that shop at Box, uh, one of the top reasons uh, um, that they do is because of our stance on the pink tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not necessarily, um, uh, it's not, uh, I guess, necessarily mutually exclusive that you do the right thing and kind of you benefit from it. Yeah. And, you know, luckily for us, uh, we do benefit from it just by women being happy and talking about, the, uh, about our stance. So if you look at the Nike example, for a period of time, and arguably even now, Nike will be associated with Colin Kaepernick. I mean, just because the choices they made and how it echoed across society. Are you seeing the same thing, which is a decision made, whenever that decision made is, is having longevity and it's beginning to be a part of your brand itself? That's how people view you as participating in this thing as they are arguably with Nike, at least for now. Yeah, I, I would say um, uh, potentially not as extreme as, as, as Nike's stance because, you know, it, you know, Colin Kaepernick, whatever your views are, no one can. No one can say it, 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 he's not a polarizing figure in terms of you know the the kind of um, uh, uh, the conversation. Um, uh, you know, with regards to the pink tax, I mean, if you look at it from you know the left perspective, it is a progressive kind of um, uh, a thing that we're we're embarking on. From the right, we're cutting taxes, and so you know it's like something for everyone and for women to benefit. I think um, uh, we've been awfully lucky that it hasn't been that uh, polarizing. Um, uh, so. Overall, though, um, we are uh, uh, starting to build our brand as being a place where, you know, it's a, it's a retailer being run by normal human beings um, <laughs> that want to do the right thing uh, whenever they can. And that sounds so simple, but I think because it's authentic that there's some currency in, uh, in it. So if you look at Lyft versus Uber, if you ask someone who, who uses Lyft, there's no reason why they should use Lyft. It's not cheaper than Uber. It's not more convenient than Uber. Um, uh, 
but they like the brand. And so right. if we're in this dystopian future where all toilet paper is the same brand at the same cost and the same speed of delivery, then, you know, you have a choice of how you want to spend your money and hopefully you'll spend it with people you feel good about. So you're a CEO of a firm that is part of the overhaul or the transformation of the retail environment. When you look at it, like say two years out, three years out, five years out, what do you see? What's in your head about how the story will evolve? You know, you look at just where the trends are going, like Unilever buying Dollar Shave Club. Are they, you know, at what point is Unilever more of a retailer than they are a manufacturer? Right. Um, or, you know, uh, even, you know, in box, like, you know, we're doing a ton of private label. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, you get certain retailers, they do the majority private label. Um, are they more... Are they more CPG than they are retailer at that point? You look at AWS or, or Amazon. Um, now the fastest growing part of the business is not only AWS, but also Amazon Media Group. So when are they more of an advertising platform with an e-commerce infrastructure than an e-commerce platform who does some advertising? And even if you look at Google, they're trying to go into shopping hardcore. Uh, so when are they going to be more retailer than they are ad platform. So everyone's trying to like figure it out. Everyone needs to be a little bit of everything. And I think that's where retail is going in the next few years. Yes. We're like industry lines be damned. And I want to build on the word be damned, but going back to the fact that you decided to build your own tech, you built your own platform. And I think part of what gives these firms the ability to enter these spaces is that they have built a digital capability that allows them to easily enter, meaning enter without extraordinary cost or time into spaces and then, you know, build from there. Was that part of your thinking that if I, if I build it right, I give myself strategic flexibility over the years? I can't say from day one that was the initial plan, but that's certainly how things started to end up by year two, year three. Hmm. That early on, I felt it was just a disadvantage. Like, man, we don't have enough money to buy some of the software. We don't have enough money to do this or that. But over time, it actually became an advantage because we ended up building a flexible infrastructure uh, that we have total control of. And so... I can't say, I can't sit here and just say, you know, that was the plan from day zero. Um, but luckily, that's how it ended up. Um, and, you know, sometimes sometimes decisions uh, uh, have great ramifications years later, and this is one of them. So, Che, you're going to be on stage at our consumer marketing forum, and there are going to be executives, decision makers in the room who are going to wonder how you did what you did and what you're going to do next, because that's not their experience. And in some cases, that's not their mindset. They walk up to you as you come off to a rounding applause and they say, what advice do you have for me? What, what would you say to them? Um, I, I would say, uh, first of all, thank you for the applause and thank <laughs> you for, for not poking me with like a voodoo dog. Cause I'm, I'm sure a lot for a lot of them, they're like, man, you know, like screw this guy. <laughs> um, but I, I think my advice would be um, to be bold uh, and to get moving. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, when I'm here in the tri-state area, uh, of, uh, you know, between our office and one of our fulfillment centers, I'm always looking at the GPS in terms of how long it takes to get from our facility to our New York office. Because sometimes I'll travel back and forth two times a day. And what I found is that, there's no amount of speeding uh, you can do or asking the Uber driver to drive faster that will make up a significant portion of the time. Like you could go 85 for the next 20 minutes and you're going to make up like two minutes maybe or three minutes maybe in that time. Um, but the most important factor has been simply to get on the road and to, to actually start moving. And I think what happens in big industries and big companies is that 
you know, the, the, the companies are paralyzed by success and they want to get everything perfect. They don't want to have like a, um, they don't really get a mulligan with the, with the public investors. And so they're very afraid of moving in the wrong direction. But I think the reality is like, you just have to get moving because the road as we've experienced it is not straight, nor is it apparent where the traps are uh, before you start. Um, and so we never knew that there would be this opportunity to, to, to build an ad platform on Box on day one. We didn't know that, you know, um, we could automate our own fulfillment centers and, and, you know, that technology would catch up and we could use these sensors for these, for these robots that drive themselves. But had we not gotten started, we never would have discovered that. Um, and that would be my advice. Jay, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Join Forrester's analysts and over 500 marketing leaders at Consumer Marketing in New York this spring to hear the trends and challenges that you will face in the coming year. For more information and to reserve your seat, visit for.com slash CM2019. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash CM2019. Thanks for listening.